I quickly understood how important it is to be ahead of the eight ball in the disaster. It's a saying in an emergency management that when a disaster strikes, um, you're already behind the game. You know, you're playing catch up. You're trying to find out what's going on. What in what resources am I going to need to be able to mitigate the problem? You're listening to an American Red Cross in Greater New York podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael DeVolpierre, Communications Officer with the American Red Cross in Greater New York. So for today's episode of Humanitarians of New York, I'm going to be speaking to Eli Russ. Eli is a longtime Red Cross staff member. He's also one of our youngest staff members. Eli joined the Red Cross a little less than 10 years ago as a volunteer with his youth club in his high school. And he has since taken on numerous Red Cross volunteer roles in high school, in college, after college. And today he is an employee. He is the mass care manager for the Long Island Red Cross. Eli is a passionate humanitarian. He has a passion for emergency management and, of course, a passion for the Red Cross. Welcome, Eli, to the podcast. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So let's jump right into it. Eli, since an early age, you've had a real passion for emergency management and helping others. Was there a point in your life where you decided that this was the direction you wanted to take? I became interested in wilderness survival, you know, like those Discovery TV channel type shows, because my family and I would go camping often. And my dad got an advertisement for our local community emergency response team. They were just forming, and he thought that would be something I was interested in. I believe I was 15 or 16 at the time. Um, so I didn't drive. So my mom had to drive me to the meeting. And there was a gentleman there. His name is Ed Marians. He was the at the time, the chairman of the board of the Westchester County chapter of the Red Cross, and he, a Larchmont resident. His daughter also uh, went to the same school that I did, and he spoke about the mission of the Red Cross and mentioned that there was a Red Cross club at my high school, and as they say, the rest is history. I knew that this field, the disaster field, was something that was immediately appealing for me because I was given the opportunity to help people and to do something pretty exciting that not a lot of people have kind of any awareness or involvement with unless they're you know unfortunately on the uh, on the impact side of the disaster so it was a uh, it was a a time that i even though i was younger I, I don't forget because it was a light bulb that clicked in my head i just at the time i don't think realized how big of a light bulb that that really was so you've talked about a couple different people um who've had a significant, I think, influence on your career and on your life and on your path. Ed Miriams, um, I believe he was a bit of a mentor, you could yeah. say, and, and your sister as well. So there was a, another organization called Kids for World Health that my sister was involved with, and it had to do with trying to fundraise for and gain awareness for neglected tropical diseases in Africa and other impoverished places um, on the globe. She, uh, although, wow, I don't think I've ever made that connection until this conversation where you know, she and her leadership um, kind of was a, uh, a mentor and a, a good example to me. It was that and getting involved with my synagogue youth group where I really started to get a taste of organizations and organizational management and how to run uh, a team and, and manage a group of people. I've known you for several years now, Eli, and I've seen you grow um, and I've seen you grow personally and professionally and it's with a lot of pride just as a Red Crosser. I've always been very impressed by your, your focus and your, your drive and ambition. Um, where do you think that comes from? It definitely comes from my family history. Um, we were very focused on 
are um, are wartime survivors from World War II during the Holocaust. Unfortunately, we we lost a lot of family members, but there was one that that was notable. He's been written about in several books. He's uh, featured in in different museums, and his name was Heinrichus, and uh, he was a youth leader in the Jewish Socialist um, movement that he was a part of in pre-war and, and post-war Poland, and. Long story short, he ended up, you know, unfortunately dying for his family and and for the causes that he believed in. Um, but and there's even a story written about by one of the the well known leaders of the uh, what's called the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, where where the Jews of the Warsaw Ghetto fought against the occupying Nazis um, towards the end of the war, where one of the uh, underground leaders gave a blood transfusion to his son who was injured during a bombardment. And unfortunately, the blood types, we believe, weren't correct, and the baby unfortunately passed. But what was extraordinarily remarkable is this leader uh, noted in his memoir that Heinrich never blamed him. You know, he understood the reality of the circumstances and that people were trying and doing the best they can and um, just trying to help people and survive. And even when it didn't work out the way that they wanted it to, the focus on the task at hand and the bigger picture and knowing that you're a piece in the bigger puzzle, I think has made a huge, huge impact on me and my family. So and we're going to kind of focus, talk a little bit about high school because it's my impression that you started your Red Cross club at your school or you had a leadership role. Talk to me about your, your role yeah, so at, at Maranac High School. The club was very small when I joined. It had about a half a dozen members and then the Haiti earthquake happened. So that, that quickly you know, thrust our uh, our club into the spotlight of things and gave us a real avenue to grow and in turn gave me an avenue to grow and uh, learn by trial and error, really, you know, what works um, in dealing with other young people and in dealing with the community, whether it was, you know, furniture drives we were doing or blood drives or community fundraising or um, responding to apartment fires together with the CERT team in, in Larchmont Mamaronek or um, staffing hurricane evacuation shelters during Hurricanes Irene and Sandy as well. Did your Red Cross work continue in college? Yes. So when I was in college, um, I shifted my focus a little bit to uh, as a volunteer EMT. I joined Muhlenberg College EMS and um, similarly became a a leader in that. I was also able to be the health services lead eventually uh, for the Metro New York North chapter of the Red Cross. So Part of my responsibilities, we're leading a team of about 25 disaster health services volunteers who were coming from a different medical backgrounds. Some were um, MDs, most were RNs. There were also some LPNs, EMTs, and so on. And um, I had we had we had built a pretty robust team, but I had never met you know most of these people because you know I was in college, several hours hours away. Um, so when we would have large scale apartment fires and Yonkers and and other events like that to have the team be able to quickly respond and really know what they need to do and get the job done um, was was a very cool experience and really helped develop my remote management skills. Was it difficult being the health services lead um, overseeing such a team in your early twenties or you know given your, your your young age at the time? There were definitely times where I had class at you know nine o'clock in the morning the next day and I was up at four or five o'clock. You know, trying to find responders to go, um, you know, replace medications for a client who lost them in, in a fire or something along those lines. 
but I wouldn't have traded that experience and I'm really happy for it because uh, it really brought me into the leadership circle on the local level with the Red Cross and um, I think helped me also uh, with my next step, which is becoming the mass care manager for the Long Island chapter. Talk about that. How long have you been in that role? What does that entail? You know, what is it like? Because you're working on Long Island, uh, you're doing a little bit of traveling. So just talk a little bit about that. Sure. So I joined um, the paid staff of the Red Cross about a little more than a year and a half ago um, after graduating college. And part of that responsibility of being a mass care manager is overseeing our volunteer program of about 140 uh, volunteers to provide sheltering, feeding, distribution of emergency supplies, reunification, and emergency response vehicle, uh, IRV services. What is the largest response locally that you've managed in this current role? I would say the Westbury train derailment from, I think, about two weeks ago that we had um, unfortunately, a packed commuter train during rush hour on the LIRR hit a occupied vehicle. Three, the three people in that vehicle unfortunately died. There were a number of people that were injured, and we ended up canteening for first responders for about two full days after the initial accident, serving about a, a thousand one hundred meals and snacks uh, using about twenty volunteers. And this was the first time that I have been in the field leading a, um, a mass casualty incident response. I've been able to kind of combine my EMS background as an EMT along with some of my medical examiner knowledge and my Red Cross knowledge to become a subject matter expert in mass casualty incident planning and response. I quickly understood how important it is to be ahead of the eight ball in the disaster it's a saying in an emergency management that when a disaster strikes, um, you're already behind the game. You know, you're playing catch up. You're trying to find out what's going on. What in what resources am I going to need to be able to mitigate the problem? So, for us to be able to get on scene quickly and within 45 to 60 minutes, not only have a plan and and, and practice in place to care for the uh, passengers, but um, had additional assets and resources available beyond what was actually needed that night. You know, we could have brought in uh, more responders and more vehicles. We could have opened up a reception center, provide recovery services, all, a whole host of things. Um, and to me, that's the true mark of a, of a strong response is that very early on into the disaster, you were able to get ahead of the curve and start doing planning for what's going to happen next, not playing catch up. In your role, and this applies to just about all of us here, you, because we're speaking now and dealt with some mass casualty incidents, how do you cope with that emotionally? Sure. There's almost too much going on at the scene of an incident like this to process it. Um, so you really kind of push it away into the back of your mind. And it wasn't until I was, I was driving home later that night where it kind of hit me. But, you know, that's where you really rely on your your professionalism and your past experiences um, and also your coworkers, because they're going through, you know, probably very similar circumstances um, to be able to to move forward. And, you know, the job wasn't done. So to focus on the task at hand and, and to move forward with that. Is there a, a story of someone that you've interacted with that, that you've been part of helping that you're going to think about and that's going to really hit home why you do what you do? Yeah, I think uh, back in my early days of responding to fires, there was a particular uh, fire, which, you know, for all intents and purposes, was routine in the city of Yonkers. And then a few weeks later, there was a um, an apartment building that was vacated because of, a, I believe, a gas leak. 
and into the reception center that we had set up comes walking in the man that I had helped a few weeks prior at the fire. He had just found a new place to stay, um, and unfortunately, you know, he was displaced twice in, in about a month. And him and his family were upbeat, and they were, you know, understanding of the situation and just trying to do the best that they can. And the fact that they weren't, you know, angry or upset or complaining and, and just having the best outlook that they can on a not-so-great situation was something that was very notable to me. Throughout your, your Red Cross career, what do you think has been your biggest challenge? You know, I look young and I am young, and sometimes that's a challenge and other times it's an asset. But I think having people understand the, the experiences that I've had and that the skill sets that I can bring to the table. Um, to those who know me, I think they know that, but to those who don't, it's, uh, it doesn't seem quite as apparent because usually those things come with, with more age. Um, but you know, as I've gotten more involved and know more people in this organization at different levels, I'm, I'm really starting to feel at home. And I mean, I've always felt at home, of course, but you know, this is an incredible organization that their mission is, is more than just me. It's more than just us. And it's something that's always going to be necessary that we're going to have to um, provide. And I just hope that I can do similar work to this for the rest of my life. What are you the most proud of in these 10 years at the Red Cross? I think I'm, I'm proud of how the organization has shaped me into the person that I am, um, whether it's the values and the principles behind the organization and our mission, or the, you know, the professional and personal skills that I've been able to develop. What piece of advice would you give to a new volunteer with the Red Cross? I always give our new volunteers the same advice, which is like any other volunteer experience, you get as much as you put in. Um, so really advocate for yourself and look to get involved in different activities and opportunities in the Red Cross. Because I promise you, you know, you'll find what's uh, the right fit for you and you won't be disappointed. I want to thank Eli for taking the time to talk to us. And before saying goodbye, I want to share some bittersweet news that we learned shortly after recording this interview. Eli will be leaving the Red Cross as an employee to take on a new position as an associate with an emergency management consulting company based here in Manhattan. So excited for him in this next chapter in his career. Glad that he's staying in the field of emergency management, but of course, sad to see him go as an employee. Um, but Eli has told us that he will be staying on as a volunteer. So that's great for us. So best of luck to Eli. And uh, thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to hear more, please share, like, subscribe, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. As a new podcast, we really want to hear from you, our listeners. To learn more about the work of the Red Cross, visit redcross.org. This episode was produced by Chi Kong Lu and edited by Sue Tran. Special thanks to Michael Freiberg and Connor Lennon for their support. Thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll join us for the next episode.